Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week, we, of course, the Resurrection Sunday, uh, we looked at three things that the resurrection means, and I just want to remind you of those things. The first thing that it means is that it's true. It's all true. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything is true. That he said, that he did, it's all true. And so uh, we can have absolute confidence. The disciples could have absolute confidence because of that. Second thing that we saw is this, that it's life for those who believe. So because Jesus rose from the dead, we know we have life when we place our faith in him. And then the third thing is this, we have hope beyond the grave. No matter what happens in this life, just talking to a member this morning, uh, you know, it, sometimes in our lives it seems like one trial right after the other. And if it's a health issue, if it's a struggle in our health, and, and it's like, man, I, I, maybe this is going to take my life. Maybe this is going to be my story. Um, I was sharing with them, you know, the thing about it is, is all of our lives are vessels that the Lord uses for his eternal purpose, for his kingdom. It, it's, it's easy, I know, intellectually and even spiritually to say that. Uh, and it's a little more difficult emotionally and physically to go through that I realize that but if we can remember that man that's what we're here for we're here to be used for God's purposes to bring him glory to uh, satisfy his desires and so if our life goes down a path a journey of difficulty and trial um, and and ultimately leads us to a, a grave then in that path God prayerfully because of our response will be glorified even through that trial um, and if it takes us to the grave, again, it, we remember because Jesus rose from the dead, the grave doesn't have the final say. That there's hope beyond the grave, regardless of what happens to us in this life. There's nothing on this side of eternity that has the final say uh, because Jesus rose from the, gra- the grave. So this is something that we have to get. Um, I, I, don't, I, I know if you were raised in church, you might have heard about the resurrection uh, from the time that you can remember. I, I, that's the way I am. I mean, I remember hearing about the crucifixion, the resurrection from as far back as I can remember. But here's the danger, I think, in that for, for many people who are raised in church, and that is to become kind of desensitized to the power of the resurrection, to kind of lose the, the impact of what the resurrection really means and, 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 and how we're supposed to live in response to the resurrection. And I know a lot of people have, a lot of people have that concerning the blood. We think about, I've heard, I've heard about the blood, I've heard about Jesus dying on the cross. And while I'm so thankful for that, I'm so thankful that because he shed his blood, I can have forgiveness of sins. And I'm so thankful for that. But it seems like that we can get to a point where it doesn't have the effect, the impact that it does for somebody who has been lost in their sins and have, have, have grown up and, and, and lived away from God and never known God until you know, maybe later in life or as an adult or as a young person and, and, and they, they feel this impact of the blood washing all of that sin and all of that worldliness and all of that, that junk away in their life and, and the power of the resurrection. I have new life. I'm born again. I, I have eternal life. All those things seem to impact uh, people like that when they come later in life. And so uh, I want us, if you were raised in church, if you've been a Christian for many years or you've heard about the blood for a long time, heard about the resurrection, to try to have this fresh approach, this, this new approach to this amazing thing that we call the resurrection, that we're a part of. Every single one of us who believe we're a part of the resurrection. The resurrection is our complete confidence 
for our faith. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I just want to read a few verses. Now, not that we needed this complete confidence, not that we needed this guarantee of eternal life because what God does is sufficient regardless, um, but we needed one, right? And we need one because we're humans, we're flesh. God knew that and God knows that and that's why he gave us, hey, here's your absolute confidence. Here is something that you can put your, your faith absolutely in. I went to the cross, I paid the price. It covered everything. But I rose from the grave and you can stand on that for the rest of your life knowing that you have eternal life. And so that's why I believe one of the reasons why, of course, all the other theological reasons about the resurrection. But this is what Paul touches on in verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And some people may say it's not a big deal that Christ isn't risen. But Paul explains, here's our confident expectation. He explains why this is so important. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. That doesn't matter. I don't need to hear a preacher all the time anyways. But here it goes even deeper. Here it goes even more. Look what he says. And your faith is, in, is also in vain. You're believing in Jesus Christ for a vain reason if he didn't rise from the dead. Because he's just like any other person who claimed to be deity, any other person who claimed to be a God, little g, he's just like any other religious leader or, or anything like that. If he didn't rise from the dead, then our faith in him is empty. It's in vain. But he goes on in verse 16, he says, For if the dead rise not, then, Christ, then is, is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is vain. And here, here, here's what Paul drives home here. And you are yet in your sins. You, you are still living in sin. You're not forgiven of your sins. You have no hope for eternal life. You, you, you now are looking forward to standing before God as a sinful vessel, not covered by the blood of Christ. And in that condition, you are hopeless standing for God. So again, he's saying if Christ is not raised, then you believe in vain and you are still in your sins. And skip down to verse 22, it says, for as in Adam all die, but even so, just the same way in Christ shall all be made alive. And I praise God for that. I praise God that because we're all of Adam, every single one of us, we come from man, we have flesh, we're walking around in these fleshly bodies. That's the way it is. Because of Adam, because of his sin, sin passed upon all men. That's Romans chapter 5. And so we understand every single one of us is going to die. Every single one of us because of our sins are headed to a place called hell. However, again, because God came and paid the price on the cross, because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be made alive in him. And just as, as Brother Jeffrey said this morning in John chapter 11, Jesus was talking to this woman and he, and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Even if it looks like he's, he's dead, he's alive. Death has no power on us. And so I praise God for that. Praise God for the blessings of the resurrections. Uh, of the resurrection. And so now as we move forward, we're going to see this response. These first disciples, they were facing some different things, some different emotions, some circumstances that uh, to, to us, again, 2,000 years removed from the resurrection, we look at it and say, man, Game over. Resurrection happens. Everything the disciples face from that point forward should be peachy. I mean, it should be amazing because Jesus rose from the dead. He has all power. They saw it. They experienced it. Their lives should just be like, I mean, they were like, I mean, just warriors taking nothing, you know, uh, against the, the, the purposes of God. But they were facing some things. Right after he rose from the dead, they, were, they, were, they had some choices to make. 
And, uh, and so I want to look at some of this stuff and, and, and see how even today, 2,000 years later, you and I can learn from what they did and some of the things they faced and how that applies in our lives. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you as our king. We're so thankful that you are our, our risen Savior, so thankful that we have life. And Lord, when, when, when this life and this temporal world gets difficult, uh, it's, it's such an encouraging thing to remember that this is not our home. This is a, a temporal place where we have been entrusted with this amazing gospel uh, to share with, with those who are in darkness still so that they could come to the light. Because you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so, Lord, help us remember uh, this is just a short time. And even though the trials can make it seem like it's so long, even, even though our lives sometimes seem to prolong through those trials, Lord, again, we realize that it's just a moment. It's like a vapor that, that appears for a little while and then passes away. And so I pray this morning as we hear these things and see this message and um, hear what you have for us, I pray that we'd receive it, that we'd be not only encouraged by it, but strengthened by it. And wherever we are in, in this place, every person in this place, wherever we're at, whether we're on a mountaintop or we're, whether we're really struggling in a dark place, uh, I pray that your words would pierce through and again accomplish the purposes that you want them to accomplish. And Lord, just use me as a vessel. It's, it's your word. It, it's your, your kingdom. It's your purposes. And so you deserve all the glory. And so I pray that you just move now and speak to all of us. Uh, and we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I, want, I want you to think about kind of what was going on. Right after Jesus uh, was crucified, we saw a little bit of what happened uh, last week with the ladies there. Uh, but think about this. Peter, the pretty much the presumed leader of the apostles at the time, had denied even knowing Jesus. I mean, how bad can it get, you know? I mean, think about this. Like, here's this movement. Here's the kingdom of God. It's coming. It's, it's, it's coming to man and, and living in man. I mean, God is, is installing his kingdom in the hearts of man. And so, um, Jesus dies, and, and all these things are going on, but Peter, the, the, the leader, as Jesus leaves, denied even knowing him, that he, that he had anything to do with him. That's, that's about as bad as it can get, you know? The top person saying, nope, don't have anything to do with him. Think about what's going through Peter's heart and his mind. Guilt, brokenheartedness. Maybe he felt like he was really, really weak. I thought I was way stronger than I was. Shame. Think about what Peter probably felt like in that moment, too. I'm a quitter. I quit. In that moment when it, when it came when to, for the rubber to meet the road and, and for, for the test, for me to be on the line, I, I quit. I, I, I took the easy way out. I denied him, and I I was so afraid of what was going to happen to my life. and He had done so many marvelous things in my, that I could see with my eyes and even in my own life, and I quit on him. And all these things that he probably felt, and the disciples, think about them. These disciples were walking with Jesus and seeing, I mean, fish and, and bread being multiplied and, 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 and sick children raised to life, I mean, from the dead, and uh, People being healed of all manners of sickness and diseases, just like we've seen in this study. And, and so his disciples, they had witnessed all this power, and yet they were fearing their lives. We, we learned that, and we'll see that in just a second. They were afraid. Now that Jesus is gone, what's going to happen to us? And so they fled. 
They all left him in this moment that he, he was being crucified and put on trial. They all left. They fled. And now at this point, right after the resurrection, they're in hiding. We'll see that as well. The report of the empty tomb that came back from these two ladies or these, these, this group of ladies probably stirred some things in them. And I want, to, I want us to try to put ourselves in their shoes for just a second uh, as best as possible and, and, and try to think about maybe what they were going through when this happened. I think one of the first things would be fear. What does this mean? I'm like, oh boy. You know, he's, they're coming back saying the, the, the tomb is empty. His grave clothes were there. People are going to think that we stole the body. And again, they did. They, they, that, that was one of the, the deceptions. It's one of the deceptions that's still going around today. People say, well, the body was stolen. Fear that the Jewish leadership would want them dead now, especially since they weren't letting this thing die. They tried to kill Jesus, and they were still there. And so again, one of the reasons why Peter denied is, is again, fear for their lives. But think about this as well. This is a factor that we don't always think about. A fear that gripped them maybe was their families, right? We know that Peter was married. Many of them, several of them probably married as well. They, they probably were thinking, well, what about our families? I mean, that's what a lot of times happens in persecution, right? Um, if, if they want somebody to move or recant, they go after their family, right? Because somebody's like, you, I'm not, not going to tell you, you can kill me. And so they try to torture or they try to go after something that makes them, uh, you know, want to give in. So the, the fear for their families, what about our families, Another emotion they may have been going through at this point in time was wonder. Well, what does this mean? What do we do now? I mean, he, the, he's not in the grave. I mean, what, what's going to happen next? And again, that would probably bring a little bit of excitement in their lives. This is great. He rose other, others, from the, others from the grave, and now he rose from the grave. Everything he said was true. Everything about his kingdom is going to come to pass. I mean, all these things is excitement. Why do we have to... To fear but how do we move forward now he's not in the grave but he's not here with us we can't see him we can't hug him we can't do those things that we did before so what does it look like for us again with all these things they faced some choices they had some things to decide in in these in these emotions they had to, some things to do and and, and and some responses to have to all of this and so I want to look at, 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 at the scriptures here and then we'll Hopefully get some points. In Luke chapter 24, you can turn over there. It'll be on the screen. I want to remember how it happened. Verse 9 says, And they returned and returned from the sepulcher and told all the things unto the eleven to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, mother of uh, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed as idols' tales or nonsense, and they believed them not. But Peter rose up. He said, wait a second. I'm going to go check this out for myself. Peter runs down, sees the clothes there. And he goes back home, the Bible says, and he begins to think about all the things that had come to pass, all these things that had happened, and he's rehearsing these things. Now, we also know that there's other Gospels and there's other accounts, and so there's other pieces of the narrative that we didn't get last week that I want to touch on just a little bit this week. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 59, it says, And when Joseph, Joseph this is Joseph of Arimathea, had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new, new tomb. Again, this was a borrowed tomb for Jesus, but it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb that was hewn out of the rock. He put the body in there, and look what happens. He rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. But there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Again, Jesus was in there. He was their Lord. He, they, they, had done, uh, they had seen so much, experienced so much with them, so they were there. 
But we know that they prepared things, and the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember. Now, Jesus, I want you to understand this, Jesus and the resurrection still threaten sin today. It, the, this, the, the gospel story, threat, it's the threat to sin, and that's what the enemy knows. And so if the gospel message gets out, if the gospel gets to those who are in need of the gospel, then it's a threat to the enemy's plan. I, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying, but, but the enemy does not want the gospel to go out. This is one of the things that, I'm not going to do this, but if we were to take a, a, a poll in here, to how many people have shared their faith with somebody this week, I would say the chances are in 2018 in a, in a culture and a society where we are so wrapped up in, in, in our own stuff and so busy with so many things that there's not the majority of people, even in a church, that is geared towards getting the gospel. There's not a majority of people that would say, yes, I shared my faith with someone this week. Why do you think it's so hard? Why do you think it's so, so distracted from why do you think that the gospel message, this thing that brought salvation to us, this gospel message that, that, that gave us life, why do you think it's so difficult for Christians who say, I know I'm saved, I know it's how I got saved. Why is it so hard? Because it's a threat to the enemy, it's a threat to sin. And so Satan will use circumstances, he will use people, he will use everything he can to keep us distracted, to keep us busy, to keep us disheartened, to keep us discouraged, to keep us depressed, to keep us all those things that we are so that we don't share the gospel with those that are in need. The enemy was threatened at this point in time because Jesus rose from the dead. Everything's true. Life is possible for all who believe. All this stuff is out there. And so look what happens. These, 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 these Pharisees and the chief priests come to Pilate and say, look, we remember he was saying something about, you know, that deceiver when he was alive, that he was going to rise again in three days. So this is what we need you to do, 64. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made uh, secure until the third day. Let's, let's make sure that nothing goes on. Because here's what we're worried about, like they were really worried about. This is, this is their scheme. Uh, let's make sure that the disciples, the, his disciples don't come by night and steal his body and say to the people that he's risen from the dead. So the last error, the last fraud that's committed is worse than the first, which is he was claiming to be Jesus, or the Messiah, and, uh, and, and again, it'd be worse than it was in the beginning. So Pilate said to them, you've got to watch, you've got a group of soldiers, so go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went, they made the sepulcher uh, secure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now the sealing of the stone was probably something done with cord and wax, possibly, probably, um, so that it could be shown if it was tampered with or not, the stone and the, and the door to the sepulchre, so they could tell as the cord and the wax were, were brought together, if somebody tried to move it, uh, then it would be tampered with, and they would know, okay, this is what happened. The, the, their, their minds, their plan was about to be completely blown up with an angel. Um, but verse 20, uh, Matthew chapter 28 says this, at the end of the Sabbath day, our Sabbath as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. There it is. The cord and the wax just completely, yeah, someone messed with the tomb, all right. Um, verse 3, his countenance was like light and his raiment was white as snow and for fear of him, the keepers, the guards there, did shake and became as dead men. They passed out. They fell over dead and they were, they were completely scared. The angel uh, answer, answered and said unto the women, fear not ye, 
because I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. <laughs> but here it is. He's not here because he's risen, just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you in the Galilee. There shall, there shall you see him. Lo, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Again, we've seen all this. We knew this is what happened. But again, some more of the pieces of the, the narrative there um, involved. But think about this. What an emotionally charged experience these ladies must have had. Not only an emotionally charged experience, but a spiritually charged experience. I mean, what else, like, what do they say, like a sensory overload sometimes? Like, what else could you put on these ladies? I mean, I know ladies are, are emotionally wired anyways. God has, you know, designed y'all in such a way. But can you imagine what was going on in these ladies' hearts and minds? I mean, everything Jesus said, everything that they were experiencing, this angel comes, earthquake, rolls back the stone, brilliant. These guys are falling over. They're guards, they're soldiers, right? The ladies didn't fall over. The guys did. The guards did. Um, and, and so they're, they're hearing an angel talk to them. Not just an angel, the angel of the Lord talk to them. He says, go inside and look, Jesus isn't in there. They go in there and see. I mean, mind blown over and over again, just like, wow, what's going on in our life? You know, what is happening in our world? They had walked with God, they had talked with God, they had, they had had this experience, and now this angel, and, and all the empty tomb, and all these things, but look what happens next in verse 9. So they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hell, and they came and held him by the feet, and worshipped him, and Jesus said unto them, be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they, go, uh, that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now, look what the relentless enemy of God was doing while all of this was going on. Like, Satan's like, okay, it's over, you know. He won, he rose from the grave, I give up. No, that's not what he's doing. That's not at all what he was doing. We know that it's not what he's doing today. The enemy is still fighting, he's still fighting in the church, he's fighting in families, he's fighting in the world. He's trying to do everything he can do to keep the gospel from going out, to keep the church unified in this purpose. He's doing everything he can do, and he was doing something while this was going on. Verse 11, now when... When they were going, behold, some of the watch, some of the guard, I guess after they got up from being fallen over dead, uh, came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. Look, we were there. Angel came. I know you might not believe it. He rolled back the stone. We blacked out, but now the body's gone. All there were were ladies there, so we don't, we don't think they did anything with it. But he's gone. <laughs> But we, we have to tell you this. Look what happens. And they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel. They gave a large money. They gave large money unto the soldiers saying, this is what we want you to do. You need to say that his disciples came by night, not in the morning like he just did, like that, that just happened, and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reporting, reported among the Jews until this day. So this is what was going on. There was a scheme going on by the enemy to put a lie out about the truth. Again, that's exactly what's going on today. The enemy is still spreading lies so that the truth is detracted from. He's still scheming. He's still trying to divide. He's still trying to destroy. He's still trying to completely discourage the movement of the church in the world. He's very active in doing this. And maybe I haven't been clear enough, and, and, and it's been kind of overwhelming here in the last probably month or two, uh, but I, I did want to say this again because 
it seems like it's one thing right after the other. But we as a church are endeavoring to be a unified church. We're trying to do what God called us to do. And being this body, unified, completely devoted to the kingdom and his purpose. Just as Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. That's what we're endeavoring to be. To be effective in accomplishing his mission. Say, okay. If that's what God's will is, and that's what we are endeavoring to do, just as the enemy was busy then, the enemy is busy now. He is and he will continue to attack this. And what we see in our church is that he's attacking members, he's attacking leaders, he's attacking marriages, he's attacking health, he's attacking jobs and kids and ministries and everything. He is attacking everything he can try to do, try to attack, to keep us from coming together, to keep us from staying steady on. And he's not going to stop. He is not going to stop. As long as we say, you know what, we're going to try to be obedient to this and continue in this, Satan is not going to stop because where there's no obedience, there's no opposition. But where there is obedience, there is absolute opposition. Now, Satan doesn't want you to go a certain way if it's God's way. And that's what he's doing with even our church. So what do we do? What do we do if Satan is so heavily attacking our church, so heavily attacking maybe your life right now? What do we do? Do we say, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I want that. I want God's will, and I want to experience all the blessings there, but I don't want what I'm going through right now. So I, I, maybe I'll just, you know, not, not give God my all. Maybe I just won't be as faithful. Maybe I won't do this. Look, he's not going to stop. Just as he didn't stop with the disciples. Just as he didn't stop with that first church, he's not going to stop. But we're going to see what the disciples did in just a minute. Um, and hopefully, again, we can learn some things for us even today. But I want to jump back in our text in Luke 24 and verse 13. Again, this is where we picked up. Behold, two of them went, went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding, they were holed up, that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications? What are you guys talking about? They have one to another as, as you walk and are sad. You guys, and you guys are dragging your tails and your heads are da stooped down. <laughs> What's wrong with y'all? You know, what, what, what are you talking about that's making you so sad? And one of them said, whose name was Cleopas, uh, answered, he said to them, art, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? You just come here, you just get here recently, you do not know what's going on? You are not known the things which come to pass in these days? And he said to them, what, what things are you guys talking about? This is funny. I mean, this, is, this shows the, the, the um, relatability and, and how real our God is. Because this is an account written down. This is God in the flesh, right? Walking with these guys. And he's kind of playing dumb. I mean, I, I don't want to call God dumb. But I mean, that's, that's what, in, in our terminology, that's what Paul, Paul would say, I speak as a man. Okay, like I'm speaking as, as a man in man's terms. Um, this is how... Um, Jesus was interacting with these people. I said, oh, what's going on? Why are you guys so sad? Are you, are you visiting here in Jerusalem? You don't know what's going on? A lot of things have been going on. Oh, really? What things have been going on? Tell me about it. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been 
he which should have redeemed Israel. We knew that he was the Messiah. We just knew it. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Three days have passed. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished because they, they were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels which, uh, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us uh, went to the sepulchers and found it even so as the women had said. But they saw him. They, but him they saw not. Goes on and says, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. What's wrong with you guys? You're not putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Listen to me. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets? He expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village whither they went. And he made us, and, I'm sorry, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him. They held on to him and said, Please stay with us. It was towards the evening and the days far spent. And he went in and tarried with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. And at that moment, the Bible says, Their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, did, it our, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way? As we were walking, wasn't something stirring inside of us, even though we didn't realize it was the Lord? Something was stirring inside of us while he opened it to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together and them which uh, were with them, saying, The Lord's risen indeed. He's appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now jump over to John, and we get a little bit of John's account. Look what it says. Then the same day at evening, in verse 19, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut. Listen right here. Remember what I said a while ago? They were, they were fearing their lives. They were in hiding. Here's where John tells us this. The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of their lives. They, again, all these things had come to pass, so they were just there in hiding and and so Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said so, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. I love that. As the Father sent me, even so send I you. Back in our text in Luke 24, verse 38, it says, When he had said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? But look at my hands and my feet. That, is, that it is I myself, handle me, see me, look, come and give me a hug, shake my hand, look at me, I'm alive. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. Praise God for this. I mean, this is an amazing encounter that these disciples had. And I will say this, an amazing encounter that the disciples needed. Think about that. They needed something. I mean, they were, they, again, they were worried, they were, they were fearing, they were down, they were discouraged. What does this mean? Here comes these reports back to, to, to them. Jesus is alive. He's, his body's not there, but they're still like, well, what does this mean? We need him. We need him to talk to us. And Jesus shows up, and he doesn't just talk to them. He goes over the top, showing them, look, it's me. It's real. I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm not just some ghost. It's real. And to even drive it home even more, look at verse 40. When he had thus spoken, he showed him his hands and his feet. While they, they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, not wondered not for joy, the Bible, what that means is they were just like, they were so excited, they were like, we just can't believe this. This is, this is blowing our mind. I mean, we see you, we're hugging you, but we're still struggling whether we're having a dream or not. You know, I mean, this is really a difficult time for us, so look what happens. 
Jesus, again, knowing what they needed in that moment, he says, you got anything to eat? You got some meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb. And he took it. And look what happens. He did eat it before them. He said, well, that's not a big deal. Yeah, he was, he was arisen from the dead. No, it was a real big deal. We can pass over this and say, it's not, that wasn't a really big deal. That was a real big deal. Why, does, why is this such a big deal? Because sometimes the Lord assures us with undeniable realities in our life. Sometimes he shows up so real and so clear, and he knows that we need that in that moment. And we say, man, praise, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. I really needed that. I was really struggling. And he shows up, and he does things like this. He, he, he shows us, look, it's good. It's, it's okay. It's right. You're blessed. This is amazing. I, my hand is on this. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, not going to leave you. And I want to encourage you this morning. It's in those times that we can't forget when we go through the other times. We've got to remember those times that God shows up and we walk around this place and we're so full of joy and excitement. We can't wait to get to church and, and we can't wait to tell someone about Jesus and, and we're, just, we're just so full of excitement and joy in our life. We're living for the Lord and things are wonderful. We can't forget all the blessings and the ways that he's shown up and showed himself with undeniable reality when we go through the really, really, really dark and lonely and downtime. Remember, remember the realities that he showed himself to you in. That's what the disciples needed because they were about to go out and change the world and their lives were going to be given for this cause, but they needed this. They needed this. Don't forget what he's shown you. Don't forget what he's blessed you with. Don't forget what he's told you, maybe in a Bible study, maybe in a message, maybe in, in, in a Sunday school lesson. Don't forget what he's taught you just because you're in a difficult time. Verse 44, back in the, in the text, it says, When he had said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I, I told you these things, that all these things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms, Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Praise God. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved, uh, behoved Christ to suffer. It, it, it compelled him to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Listen to this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in this name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Again, Jesus opened their understanding. What were they thinking? One of the things that we, what I mentioned a while ago is, is wonder. What do we do now? And what does this mean? He's alive. He rose from the dead. I mean, what, we still fear our lives. I mean, what, what's going to happen? We believe it's all true now, but we still don't know what it's all about and what it's all for. Jesus begins to explain to them why it all had to come to pass the way it came to pass. Why everything that was written Moses and the prophets leading up to Jesus living on this earth, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead, what it all was about. He says here that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's the purpose. Why did God have to come to this earth and die and rise from the dead? And why was the disciples facing this dilemma in front of them? Because they had to go out and get the gospel to every nation beginning at Jerusalem. And he tells them that in verse 49. And you're witnesses of these things. You saw it. You, you're a part of this. And behold, I'm, I'm sending you. I send the promise of my Father upon you. But what I want you to do first is tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from carried up to heaven. Now, we skip back over to Matthew and we're almost getting to our points. We'll be done. Skip back over to Matthew chapter 28 and pick back up here in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven 
uh, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, just as, as he had told the, the ladies to tell them to do, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But look at that next, those next three words. But some doubted. Some doubted. Think about this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering how close to that we are. Look, what, what happened again? They met with Jesus. They, they saw him. They worshipped him. But there were still some that were doubting. I wonder why they were doubting. I, I wonder why some of them said, you know, I don't think that we can go into all nations. I, I don't know that I could share this story. I, who's going to believe me that Jesus died and rose again? I, I mean, I don't, I don't, well, I, I don't know what's going to happen when I start telling people this and they start asking me other questions concerning Moses and the prophets, and, and I don't have the answers for them. I'm, I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to look embarrassed, and they might want to not be friends with me anymore. What if I start sharing this with my family? My family don't want to have anything to do with me anymore. Some of them doubted. Some of them were, were holding back at this point in time for whatever reason they were. And I want you to look what Jesus' response to their doubt was. Because when we get to that point, we start doubting, I don't think I can witness. Again, I didn't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you witnessed to someone this past week? Shared them the, great, the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead is the only way to have eternal life. I didn't ask you to do that, but that's what our lives are supposed to be about right now. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples 2,000 years ago. Our lives are not supposed to be about what we're driving or what we're living in or, or, or what we're wearing or, or, or who our friends or what movie we just saw or what sports we're into or, or anything like that. It's not our lives. That's a temporal ex existence here. Part of it is the blessings that we have in this life, yes, but that's not what our life is about. Our life here, the reason why we still have lungs to breathe and air to breathe and the reason why we're still walking around in these vessels that we call bodies, the reason why we're still here is so that we can get this good news to those that are in darkness. Because the time is short and it's slipping closer and closer that in, just like we song, uh, the song we sang, are you ready for that day to come? There's a judgment day coming. And it's coming sooner and sooner. Our lives are existing on this world. Jesus was explaining to his disciples why they would still be here. I shared this uh, in our outreach training uh, um, uh, Thursday night. Can you think about this? Because we're not gonna cover the ascension this morning. But Jesus was about to leave them, right? He just went through all these things. Their, emotional, their emotions were on this amazing roller coaster. Their spirits were stirred and they were, they were confused. Again, some of them he's about to leave and, and, and they, were, they were still doubting. Can you imagine what's about to happen? He just told them, look, you're going to be delivered up into prisons. Your family's going to betray you. Some of you they're going to be putting you to death. It's going to be a miserable existence. If you choose to follow me, you're going to go through a lot of difficulty in this life. Right now, I'm going to go ahead and go be with the Father. <laughs> I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm not going to be in this anymore, you know? I mean, they're like, oh, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't you just take us with you right now? You know, I mean, you did it all. We believe you. Take us home with you right now. You know, let's, kind of our mentality now would be great to be saved and just go home to be, be, be in heaven and out of all the junk. But again, that doesn't accomplish God's will of seeing every person saved. That's why we're still here. That's why we have this responsibility. And so Jesus' response to their doubt, look what he says. I want, you to, I want you to understand something. He said, all power, all of it, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. There's nothing above me, he said. I have all power. So in your doubt, remember I have all power. 
in your, in your worry, your fear, your confusion, in, in, in this, this path of obedience you're supposed to be in and sharing the gospel, remember, I have all power. Well, that's great, Jesus, you have all power, but he says, look at this. So I want you to go, therefore, and teach all nations. I have all power, but I want you to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. Here it is. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. Amen. You want to worry about things? You want to worry about what people are going to do to you, say to you, treat you, how you're going to, the things you're going to have to face when you're trying to share the gospel and try to respond, tell them this good news that I, I died, but I'm alive. When, you, when, you, when you're worried about these things, remember, I have all power, and I'm commissioning you to go out because I will be with you always. I will not leave you alone. I will not forsake you. I will go with you every day, all the time as you go this way. So following the crucifixion and light of the resurrection in this dilemma, these decisions that they had to face, the disciples could do a couple of things. First of all, number one, they could go or they could grow. They could go or they could grow. First of all, they could, they could go away. They could say, you know, it's just too much. Those, those ladies, they could think, you know, my emotions have just been too much. I need some time away from, from church. I need some time away from Jesus. I need some time for myself. I've just had too much. I mean, I've got, I've got too much emotions going on. I saw an angel, the role, the, the people falling over, Jesus. I mean, it's just too much. I, I need some time alone. They could have done that. They could have said, I, I just can't, I can't deal with this. It's too much. They could have gone away. But what would this say if they went away? What, that, what would they have said to those that were in darkness still? And what does it say to the world when we do this today? What does it look like for us? Whenever we're over, when, when, when our emotions are over, when we're going through these things and, and we're facing decisions, what happens to us? What does that look like? What does going away for us as believers look like? I think, number one, it can look like that we give up emotionally, that we stop caring. And, and, and I think that we all probably are tested in this area at some point in time in our Christian life where we stop caring. But I don't know if it's worth it anymore. I was close to them, close to them, close to them. Now this is burn, 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 burn. I just, I won't be close to anybody. That's not what God wants. That's not his will. I used to love the church. Now this and that happened, and so now I don't. That's not God's will. We, we don't go away. We don't give up emotionally. But it also looks like this. We emote unhealthily. In other words, we, we, we allow our emotions to control us, and we make decisions in emotions. Versus spiritual. I've always shared that. And when you're in a, a dark place, don't ever make a spiritual decision in an emotional place. You should be very clear. I'm going to make a, a spiritual decision spiritually. But that leads to number three. We give up spiritually. We may go through the motions. We may continue to do the things, but we stop pressing into the Lord. We stop seeking Him in His Word. And I think there, 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 there's something that comes over those of us who have been Christians for quite a while, and I shared this recently as well, that we begin to kind of expect the culmination of our biblical knowledge and biblical experience to carry us through this difficult time. But what does this say when we do that? I think it says, not necessarily we say it with our mouth or anything, I think it says, I think I've arrived. I don't need to press into God when things get difficult. I don't need to seek God's word. So we stop seeking in scripture and we stop pursuing him in prayer. Things get difficult and we say, you know what, I'm just gonna cruise and go through the motions because I've given up spiritually. And I think in that moment, we think that coasting is going to suffice. And coasting does not suffice. 
Number four, I think that we give up commitment. Why are we doing what we're doing? Do we only do what we do as a Christian in our daily life and in the church? Do we only do it because we have to? Do we do it because it's expected? Or do we do it because he's alive and he's alive in us? Again, the disciples were facing the same thing. Are we going to go away? Are we going to stop, stop going his way? Because now he's going to heaven and we're left here on this earth. Do we stop going because it's not the way that we wanted it? Doesn't, it's not the way we expected it. How do, we, how do we respond? Or they could, they could grow strong. They could go away or they could grow strong. Let it be. But, but what does this say to the lost? When things are really bad, when, 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 when it's really difficult, what does this say to the lost? What does it say to other Christians? When, when in the difficulty, when in, the, in when the, the, the hard place, just as the disciples were, what does it say? It says that it's real. That it's a real relationship. It's not just dependent upon circumstances, a real relationship with the one true God that we have. And it also says that his strength is reliable. It says that his, his strength really does show up when we're weak. The question I have is this, and this is, how do we miss his strength, though? If his strength is made perfect in our weakness, how is it that there's times that we miss the strength of God when we're really, really weak? I, I don't know about you, but... I think I've been there before where I feel like, man, I'm really, really weak feeling. I'm really down. I'm really scourged. I'm really defeated feeling. I'm really overwhelmed feeling. I'm all these things, but I don't know if I feel God's strength right now because I feel really, really weak. So how, how is it that we miss his strength? I think here's how. I think that we theoretically try to rely on his strength. We hypothetically try to rely on his strength. Because I think we miss it when we, as we try to do it in our own strength still. We still try to do it in our flesh's strength. And how that, what that looks like is we don't press into God more. We don't, we don't seek him in his word more. We don't pray more. We don't reach into the knowledge and the understanding and choose to obey still. And because of that, we reject the strength that's available through it all. The disciples would have missed that strength had they done this. But what does it say to the lost? What does it say to other Christians when we choose to grow strong? It says that it's all worth it. That it's all worth it. That my relationship with the Lord, that, that, that Christianity, the church, eternity, the kingdom of God, everything having to do with God, despite all the difficulties, despite all the bad, despite all these things, it's still worth it. He's still worth it. His kingdom is still worth it all. And that's what it says. Our last line, I'm going to try to hurry through this, is number two. It's the same thing. They could and we could go or grow. Same, same thing is point number one. What does this mean? Letter A, they could go and tell. So they, they, could, they, could, they could go away or they could go and tell. So you know what? This is the kind of goal we're going to have. We're going to go and tell. Just as he commissioned, just as it was the purpose of his life, his death, his resurrection, just as we saw in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47, that repentance of sins were going to be preached, and it was going to begin at Jerusalem. They had a response. They could respond based off of this commission, and they did. But what does it look like for us, personally? I asked, you know, what would it look like if we raised our hands? 
What does it look like for us to go and tell? Well, maybe it looks like us finally handing that neighbor an invite card or a track. That neighbor we know doesn't go to church. Man, I wish I had the boldness. I wish I had the, I don't know what's, what's missing in me, why I can't just go over to them and invite them to church. I know they don't go to church. Maybe our go and tell is finally saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It's what I've been commanded to do, commissioned to do. It's the reason why I'm still on this earth is to get the gospel, the good news out to people. And even if one of the, the first steps I can do is, is to go invite my neighbor to come church, to church to hear that Jesus died for them and he rose from the dead, then I'm going to take that first step. Maybe it's finally handing that invite card to a, a family member who doesn't go to church. Asking someone to come worship the one true God. God of the empty tomb. Letting them see you consistently doing that. Consistently worshiping the one true God because he is real. His church and his body is real. His kingdom is priority. It's, 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 it's much more priority. The one true God, his kingdom, his plan, his church is, 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 much, is, is priority over all the other little gods in this world. Little gods of money, of football, of lakes, of hobbies, of, every, of entertainment. He is priority because his kingdom is worth living for like this. This going and telling, this compelling other people to enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ is not just a good idea. It's not just a theoretical pr uh, proposition. Hey, this is something that we probably should do. No, it's not. It's not something that we should hope to get to one day. Well, one day I hope that I'm able to share the gospel. No, this is the commission. This is the charge. This is the purpose for which we live on this earth. His people in this dark world. This is why we're here. Think about this. Again, he went to heaven. We're still here. I mean, some people think, that's not a fair deal. I mean, you're God. You got all strength. It would be better if you stayed down here and continued to do the work that you were doing. Why do we have to stay down here? We got fleshly bodies that pull us away from your will. Why has it got to be like that? Because he wants us to walk in obedience. He wants us to walk in a relationship that's real. He wants us to walk day to day realizing we've got a gift that we could never earn for ourselves. And when it comes like that from us to somebody who doesn't have it, it makes a real impact. See, Jesus came into this world. He came into his own, and the Bible says his own received him not. They rejected him. The most religious people rejected Jesus. But within the space of, uh, of, 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 of a few weeks, thousands came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the obedience of the disciples. Thousands. They could go and tell, or lastly, as the musicians come, they could go, they could grow weary and stop. They could grow weary and stop. Similar to the response of going away, I think that if we allow the discouragement, I think that if we allow the attacks, if we allow the hits that we take in life to marinate, if we just let them stay in our life, then we give open space to the enemy. And all he needs is a little crack. Man, when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, when I take this hit, this discouragement, this attack, if we allow those things to just stay in our life, then he will capitalize 100% every single time. If you allow that circumstance to dictate you and, and to control and to stay in your life, I promise you the enemy is going to eat your lunch. We have no strength on our own. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't grow weary in doing what's right and pleasing to the Lord. Be obedient. Stay the course. The last three things here. When facing a difficult time, difficult time, just like the disciples were. I'm there. I've got a health problem. I've got a relationship problem. I've got, I've got a personal problem. I've got a job problem. I've got emotional problem. I've got this problem. I'm really difficult. I've got a relational problem. I'm, I'm dealing with these things. W what can I do? I think that we can learn from Peter, who had just denied Jesus Christ. He had just denied him. And then Jesus comes back and shows, him, shows up. And not only that, we'll, we'll see in, in, in another message, Jesus says, look, I want you to do something special. Pulls Peter aside and has this, this conversation with him. But I think that we should do what Peter did. Peter had fallen short of, of what he should have done the first part of this difficult time. But what did Peter do? What did Peter do? The first thing is this. He went back to the tomb. So when we're going through a difficult time, the first thing we should do is go back to the tomb. So I can't go to Jerusalem. No, I'm not talking about I'm talking about spirits. I'm talking about in our mind, and our heart. Go back to the tomb. Remember, he's alive. He is alive. That means so much. It's the power that lives inside of us. So I'm going through a difficult time. Remember, this world is not the end. The tomb is empty. Again, go back to the tomb when you're facing a difficult time. Number two, remember the words of the Lord. What did Peter do? He looked down in that tomb and he saw the linen clothes. Jesus wasn't there. And he began to go back home. And the Bible says that he began to think about all the things that Jesus had taught. Remember the words of the Lord. Meditate on them. Seek them. And then the third thing is this. Stay the course. Stay the course. Imagine what would happen if, if the disciples says, look, we hear all this. We see you, Jesus, but we're just not going to do it. This is crazy. No. Stay the course. I know who, I'm, who I have believed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, don't move, keep going. The Bible, again, in, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Look, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And in light of that, let's lay aside the weight and the sin that sets us, so easily besets us. Let's run with patience the race that is set before us. Let's run with patience the race that is set before us. But look what he says. With Jesus as the target, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And look what he says. Who for the joy, I believe that's the church, that's his kingdom, that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And when you get weary and when you get tired and when you get discouraged and when you get down and when it's so hard and difficult in your life to continue on, consider him, Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied in fate in your minds. Think about our Lord. And you say, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. Think about him. And keep running with patience the race that is set before you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this message, this amazing truth and uh, in, in, in reminder of what the disciples did in light of, of the resurrection. We know that they were human. We know that they were fearing and they were wondering and, and were they had questions and there were struggles and there were things that uh, they were going through but Lord we can learn so much from what they did and uh, I'm so thankful for that and it's a reminder for us today that we need to go and tell that we need to grow stronger that we don't need to uh, go away Lord that we need to keep our eyes on you and keep pressing forward help us to remember that the reason we're still on this earth is to walk in fellowship with you. 
as your church unified together, separate members fitly joined together into one body, all in effort to reach the lost while there's time. And I pray that our minds, our hearts would be fixed on that. Lord, there's so much joy and freedom when we realize that's what our life is, is, is for. To be able to, to live in obedience in that and experience that together as a church is such a joy. And I pray that you would stir our church, that we'd find strength in that obedience. Even as the enemy attacks and there's opposition on every hand, I pray that we would continue to press into you and that we press forward in obedience. Lord, just move now in this invitation. Help our response to be right. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.